Hello, and welcome to Right Care at Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer. And I'm Amanda Comer, the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we are with Dr. Paul Bierman, a gastroenterologist, and we're going to be discussing colon cancer screening. Dr. Bierman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and what you currently do? Sure. So I'm a gastroenterologist. I've uh, been here in Memphis about 26 years. Actually did my training in uh, Philadelphia, Miami, and uh, just found Memphis to be a, a great, great town. Um, enjoy what I do. Uh, it's very rewarding. Uh, we get to save a lot of lives and, and prevent a lot of cancers. And, um, uh, and I like teaching as well. Well, we're, we're really honored to have you. Um, today, we plan on talking about colon cancer screening and in particular, some of the updates and the recommendations that came through this year. Uh, but before we dive into that, can you just walk us through why it's important to screen for colon cancer? Um, what are the benefits from routine screening? So uh, colon cancer, unfortunately, is very common. Uh, and in women, the third leading cause of death from cancer. Uh, the good news is it's actually totally preventable. So no one really needs to die of colon cancer if they follow uh, screening guidelines. Um, and basically, colon cancer starts as a small growth in the colon. It's called a polyp. If you can imagine like a little skin tag. And over time, uh, that gets larger and larger. And some types of these polyps, which are called adenomas, after about seven to 10 years, turn into cancer. So we can prevent that event from occurring by removing these polyps while they're small by going in there and looking. Um, or unfortunately, once we diagnose cancer uh, with surgery, uh, which is, again, is usually um, very um, successful, about 95% cure rate. The issue why we recommend screening is because it's asymptomatic. You won't know that you have anything growing inside of you until it's already spread. And so we want to prevent that. We want to treat it while it's really early. So recently, um, the colon cancer screening guidelines were updated with a decrease in the age. Can you walk us through this decision and the data behind the reason? Absolutely. So um, for years, the screening, the, the age to begin screening was age 50. Um, and that was based on um, long term modeling of large populations of people and looking at how we could prevent cancer deaths and, um, and cancer in general. Uh, so age 50 seemed to be the sweet spot based on looking at those issues along with risks and benefits. Um, now, over the last 15 years, there has been an increase in colon cancers in people aged uh, 40 to 50 and especially between age 45 to 50. It's been an increase of about 15%. We don't know why that's happening, but when they looked at the numbers this year and did their modeling, they realized that um, we are missing too many younger people with colon cancer at the prime of their lives. So they changed the recommendation to, to start screening at age 45. Hmm, that's interesting. I wasn't aware that we had an increase in uh, number of diagnoses in that age group. That's, that's good to know. Um, yeah. and, and, so, and so the new recommendations, those are for just people with average risk of, of colon cancer. What about people that may have increased risk? 
What are the recommendations right. for that? So people that have increased risk, and what we mean by that are people who have family members who've either had colon cancer or have had colon polyps uh, of a more advanced variety. So these people have a 10% increased risk of developing cancer over their lifetime. So it's recommended to start screening them sooner because oftentimes colorectal cancer can start in younger people at age 40, especially with family history. So we're recommended to start at age 40 or 10 years before the, the youngest relative that had colorectal cancer. So if you had a, a brother or a, uh, a mom who a first degree relative who had a colorectal cancer at age 35, you want to start screening at age 25. Um, if they were age uh, 55, you want to do it at age 40. So any it's the the whichever is the, um, uh, the the soonest to do it, either age 40 or 10 years before that first degree relative. Okay. Is that the same or is that apply to you know some of those hereditary um tumor syndromes, like I, I think Lynch syndrome was one I remember. Is that is not uh, for those type of syndromes. So there's there are some very serious genetic uh, conditions, such as familial adenomous polyposis. Uh, there's Lynch syndrome, which is a non-polyposis, um, and others where the increase in cancer is very high. So people with uh, family members of FAP, uh, the familial adenomous polyposis, Lynch syndrome, we screen much earlier. So with FAP, we often start screening even at age 15 or 20. Okay. So is there an age that you recommend to stop screening? There is. So the, the current guidelines um, recommend for just routine screening to stop at about age 79. Now, they kind of hedge that a little bit and leave it up to the doctor between the ages 75 and 85. Because if your patient is completely healthy, has had previous polyps, or really wants to be screened and, and their 10-year life expectancy is good, then it's worthwhile, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important to screen them because certainly wouldn't want uh, that patient to get colorectal cancer at age 80, uh, have to have surgery or something like that. So it's an individual basis. So if someone's been screened regularly and they've never had polyps, I would stop screening uh, at age 79. If they've had lots of polyps and they're very healthy and they're over age 79, I, I would screen them I, um, if they were within that normal five-year screening period. Um, and then if they're ill um, and their life expectancy isn't good for 10 years, then certainly it's it, the, the benefit of screening is, is not there. Yeah, so if somebody had like a terminal illness or advanced cancer or advanced dementia or something like that, you, you wouldn't continue screening Correct. past? Okay. Correct, because we wouldn't be giving them any benefit. And of course, there's always a very small risk uh, when you do a colonoscopy, either due to anesthesia or to the procedure itself, that, that you could be harmed. Very small, but significant over large populations. And so you mentioned colonoscopy, and I think you know the majority of us are, are familiar with that as the way to uh, to screen for colon cancer. But you know, what are some of the other ways to screen for colon cancer? I know the U.S. Uh, Preventative Services Task Force lists a number of ways on their website to screen. You know, what do you typically see? What is recommended? 
So the colonoscopy is the gold standard that all the other uh, techniques are compared against uh, because colonoscopy detects like 99.5% of polyps and cancers. And of course, you, when you do the colonoscopy, you can remove the polyp at that time. So it's a, it's a single test. Now there are other tests. So there are stool-based tests that detect blood because if you have an advanced adenoma or if you have a cancer, oftentimes it'll leak blood into your stool and that can be detected. So there are two different types of tests. Uh, one's called a fecal blood test, it's called a guaiac. Um, the other is called a fit test. The guaiac test is a chemical test um, that detects blood in your stool. And the, the fit test is more of an immunological test that uses antibodies. So if it is recommended that you have, if you're going to be screened by these tests, you have to do it every year and you have to be willing to have your stool tested every year. Now, the Guayoc test requires three stools in a row um, that you have to um, place on a small paper slide and uh, either mail into your uh, office to be tested. The FIT test can be done on a single specimen. Um, and of course, if it's positive, that means you need a colonoscopy because we have to detect. So the sensitivity of these tests are, are pretty good for colorectal cancer. So if you have a cancer, there's probably a 90% chance it's going to leak some blood and it's going to be detected. But what it doesn't detect are polyps or precancers, uh, and that, those really you need the colonoscopy. Now, there's other types of tests that have come out recently. You can also do a, a CT, it's called a CT colonography, which is basically a special spiral CT scan where you still need a prep, but they can see a three-dimensional cut of your um, colon and basically look through it. Um, and it's fairly good at detecting uh, large polyps and certainly adenomas greater than, you know, one centimeter. Um, but there are some limitations, especially if there's uh, the prep isn't good, just like a colonoscopy, if there's stool in there, they can't tell the difference. Um, and of course, you're getting radiation exposure, which is minimal. There's a new stool DNA test that's out, which actually measures for tumor markers that are associated with uh, colon cancer. So it's really, it's a very exciting test. It, you have to collect a, a full stool sample. Um, you have to add a preservative and mix it and then separate it into a small container and mail it off to the company. And they, the stool has to reach them within 72 hours. But once they have the stool, they can test for uh, any of these tumor markers that would say, suggest that you have colon cancer. And these are from the cells of the cancer that slough off naturally um, as a stool passes by it. Um, it also detects uh, blood in the stool as well. And they don't really differentiate whether you had tumor markers or blood in your stool. Um, it's just a positive test. And of course, if you have a positive test, then you need a colonoscopy uh, so that we can look in there and see, and see what's going on. Um, the, the sensitivity of the test, which means the, the chance that it will detect a colon cancer if you have it is pretty good. It's probably in the 90, 94% range, but it's also not very specific. So oftentimes we see false positives. Uh, so if you have blood in your stool for any reason or, or other things to do with it, it'll come back as positive. Uh, you'll get a colonoscopy and then it, it might be normal. Um, so the false positive rate is probably about 20%. And, and is that one, uh, is that Cologuard when we think, is that the common one? Okay. Yeah. One is and, Cologuard. There are others coming out as well. 
Sure. And is, and you do that one. You would do that one every three years if it was negative. That's correct. Um, it's recommended really for people that uh, either can't have a colonoscopy due to uh, medical problems or, or anatomic problems or uh, people that just really, really refuse to have a colonoscopy. Um, mm -hmm. Just, you know, want and want to do something. Uh, it's a good test. It's it's not the gold standard. Okay. Newer blood, there are some newer tests coming out, which are blood tests. Uh, none of them have been approved yet, but uh, sometimes uh, epithelial cells from the colon um, will enter bloodstream or tumor markers from the colon, and they can sometimes detect these markers in your blood. So it's also a very exciting um, future to see if we can do a blood test and see if you have any of these proteins or, or tumor markers in your blood. And then if you do, of course, that you'll have a colonoscopy. That but, is exciting. So the bit test you have to do every year, the blood test, the Cologuard every three years, the uh, CT scan every five years. Um, and there's still people doing flex SIGs, which is basically a flexible sigmoidoscopy is basically a, a half a colonoscopy, uh, usually without sedation, which is uncomfortable, um, and that you would have to do uh, every three years. Um, yeah. and, and so you think uh, you're still saying the majority of people are getting the uh, colonoscopy as opposed to any of the other modalities? You'd say that's the most common. Yes. So the most common is getting the colonoscopy because it's a it's a one time deal. Um, if you do have polyps, it, it's the best way to detect them, and then they're removed, so you don't have a positive test and then have to have a colonoscopy. Um, the other thing is that with a negative colonoscopy, you don't need another one for 10 years. So yeah. it's longer duration where you can go without having to think about it. Um, so 10 years, I, I always felt was better than having to do something every year or every three years. Um, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is the um, insurance companies will pay for one screening test. So if you do a Cologuard and that runs around $800 and your insurance pays for that and it's positive, well, they're not going to pay for a screening colonoscopy because now it's diagnostic. Oh, wow. So okay. Patients, we get this all the time where they come in to have a colonoscopy and then they get a bill and they're upset because they got a bill and it should be free. But we have to explain to them that that free was their Cologuard, but the uh, you know colonoscopy now is a diagnostic. As oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So I'm interested, have have you seen any downstream effects from COVID? Are people coming back in for routine screening? Absolutely. So we're crazy busy right now <laughs> because people had delayed their colonoscopies as they should have over this past year. Uh, because if you do it, you know, in five years or six years, it's okay, you know, the extra year. But now, of course, people feel much more comfortable. People have been immunized. Um, and our restrictions in our surgery center have been uh, limited, so uh, or rolled back. So people are coming in now for their screenings. Good. And are you all, you know, kind of along the same lines? Are you, you know, making sure everybody has tested negative for COVID or a proof of vaccination? How are you all handling, you know, that sort of things for patients that are coming through? A few weeks ago, every single person who came into the surgery center had to have a negative COVID test either rapid or PCR, 
whether they had been immunized, whether they had had COVID before or, or anything, and it had to be done within 72 hours. Now, if you have immun if you've been immunized, then you don't need to be tested again. If you've had COVID before, you don't need to be tested again. But if you haven't been immunized or had COVID, then we do test you within three days of the test. Going back to colon cancer screening and, and colonoscopy in, uh, in particular, um, you know, what are the risks of the procedure and, and how do you counsel patients on, on getting a colonoscopy? So um, colonoscopy is very safe. Um, the equipment is very high tech. Um, there is a small risk of perforation. And typically that occurs in people in older people uh, that have like diverticulosis or some anatomic reason uh, that you could perforate a colon. And it happens really less than about a couple times in every, every 10,000 procedures. So, but when you're doing millions and millions of procedures in the country, then it does increase the risk a little bit. And again, it's very rare. Now for colonoscopists who do this all the time, the risk is less for family practitioners or surgeons who do it occasionally in smaller towns, the risk is higher. So just like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get. The other risk is the actual anesthesia. So um, most people want to be sedated, almost everybody, although I do have that do it without sedation. Um, and we use a drug called propofol. It's an intravenous medicine. We have anesthesia in the office. We have uh, nurse anesthetists. And so we give you a little bit of this um, uh, milk of amnesia. You go to sleep <laughs> and uh, you don't realize anything happened. You wake up 10 or 15 minutes later and you're all done. But when we give you propofol, of course, it's going to um, do two things. It's going to suppress your breathing a little bit, which is why we monitor you so closely. We keep monitoring your oxygen levels, your carbon dioxide levels, your blood pressure, heart rate, everything. And so we taper the drug as we're giving it to you. We give you little doses at a time just to keep you in that sweet spot so that you're asleep, but you're breathing fine. Um, the other issue is that it does also decrease your gag reflex. So if, for, for God forbid, you vomit during the procedure, um, which is very rare, uh, you could get a little bit in your lungs. Again, very rare, and we're mindful of this. We keep the head elevated. We certainly make sure and ask you about five times if you haven't had anything to eat in the last uh, five hours. Um, and of course, we have suction available if you do have any issues. Now, that's very helpful. Um, you know, always hear that the worst part of the colonoscopy is the, is the prep. And, and speaking of, of the prep, everybody seems to have a different way they like to do uh, a bowel prep. It, has there been any standardization or any any trends and updates and recommendations on how to do uh, proper prep for this? Yeah, so the old time prep that's still around and people are still using is called go lightly. Really, they should change it to go heavily. <laughs> and basically, it's a very, very salty solution and you have to drink a gallon of it over a few hours. So most people don't like that, uh, that prep. So what we use now is um, we use a powder called Miralax. Uh, which you add to um, any kind of flavored drink that you like, or even water, but Gatorade, Powerade, um, apple juice, uh, whatever you like, um, and you drink that over a couple hours. Now, the taste is is just what the flavor that you selected. There's no taste of the Miralax itself, so people prefer that. And it doesn't cause a lot of cramping or nausea. It just kind of flushes through your system. You'll have a, you know, a couple hours of diarrhea. It doesn't really hang around all night. You, you go to sleep and you're fine. 
there are other preps available um, that are based on similar solutions uh, where you uh, mix a smaller amount of um, the agent and, and take it over time. Some some preps are split preps. You'll take a half in the, the night and then the ha other half in the morning. Um, but it is important that your preparation be good because the colonoscopy is a camera test. I'm inserting a small camera into your rectum. I'm watching on a TV screen. So if there's a lot of stool in there, I can't see as well. Uh, and that means I could miss polyps. So the prep is important. But right nowadays, people, I don't have any complaints about the prep when we use the Miralax. Everyone says it was fine. It wasn't any big deal. They don't know what their their mom was talking about or their <laughs> friends were telling them this is going to be horrible. Yeah. Uh, so one, one last question for me. Any tips for prevention? Um, any other tips for prevention? Yeah, so there are other risk factors other than hereditary risk factors. Um, there's a lot to do with diet. Um, people that eat a high fat diet tend to have more polyps and cancer. So we definitely recommend following a low fat diet. Uh, people that eat more fiber, that eat a lot of fiber, it, it does decrease your risk of colon cancer and polyps. Smoking is a big one. Uh, there's no question smoking increases uh, cancers of all varieties, not just lung and throat and esophagus and stomach, but also colon cancer and pancreas. So uh, smokers are much higher risk for colon cancer. Um, I'm sure there are other environmental agents out there that we're unaware of or even infectious agents. Uh, so there's a lot of research uh, going on uh, to understand what causes or what precipitates that initial polyp formation. Hmm. As we have noticed, certainly I've noticed in my practice over the last 30 years that polyps seem to be more common. Whereas we used to do, you know, 40 colonoscopies or 30 colonoscopies without seeing a polyp, now we're seeing polyps in every eight to 10 colonoscopies. So they're certainly more common. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, but not all polyps turn into colon cancer, uh, but a majority of them do over the 10 years. Now, uh, this has been very helpful to me. I, I certainly learned a lot. Um, Amanda, do you have any further questions? I do not. Thank you very much, Dr. Barian. This has been very helpful. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Any last words or closing comments for the providers listening to this? Yeah, don't let anyone scare you. Um, get get make sure your patients are getting screened. Unfortunately, about thirty percent of the people that should be screened are not getting screened for many different reasons, whether it be fear, insurance issues, uh, or no one mentioning it to them. Uh, but it is very very important that we get that last thirty percent to get screened, um, so that we can really cut back on colon cancer. Um, because people that are not screened that end up with symptoms uh, and end up like going to the hospital because they're anemic or they're bleeding, you know, about 60 or 70 percent of them already have spread or, or metastases to the liver. And mm. then the point where it's not curable, you know, we can we can treat it. We can increase your length of your life, but uh, you're not going to be cured of the disease. Well, thank you so much for joining us and, and thank you all for listening to Right Care at Baptist. Uh, remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can take the survey to redeem CME credit. Thank you so much.